life is really benevolent parent that sometimes just teaches us hard lessons. And it's really our power to transmute painful experiences into our gifts. We've heard this in the hero's journey over and over again. There's been probably like three crucial moments in my life where I witnessed this, but there's one that really just was like the last little straw. The first one being being an immigrant in the U.S. The second one being 19 years old and getting a DUI. That's another story. And then the third one being, I think I was 24 years old and getting pregnant mm. by my partner who had just been dating for three months. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluvians, Alex Kremer. What is up, y'all? Welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. If this is your first time joining us on the show, we welcome you. This is a special podcast that we got here. This is our first time ever doing it in an actual studio. It's interesting, like being across from somebody. I'm not going to lie. I'm vibing with this. We feel so official. (laughs) I'm here with Michelle Flores, who is the founder of MetaHuman. And before we get into that first talk, just like, what's up, Michelle? Welcome to the show. I already feel like we've already had a whole journey before this. (laughs) We did. What did we do? We got here. We're here at Squatch in Austin. We're in their podcast studio before. So I was like, hey, Michelle, would you want to be on the pod? You're like, yes, I'll only do it, though, if we do it live and we have to cold plunge first and we have to do a whole sauna session first. And then we just drank cacao, cacao, opened up our heart chakras right there. And then then we just like dropped in with a little bit of breath work, which I feel Mm -hmm. like is very, I don't know, just makes me feel good just getting into it here. Great. Yeah. So as the founder of MetaHuman, so you are really running a community of visionary leaders. They're grounded in their inner growth and you're committed to global impact, which I think is so beautiful. You are a certified transformational coach and you are a retreat curator and also I might add, one of the most popular women here in Austin, Texas. I feel like whenever I'm hanging out with you, whether it be at the gym or getting coffee or any sort of party, it's always, oh, another person who knows Michelle at a very deep and intimate, meaningful level. So it's an honor Mm. to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I consider myself a connector. It's one of my gifts. Yes. How did I do on the introduction? Was that good? Did I miss anything? I know that you have such a beautiful background of many different types of things. So what did I miss on your background, I guess? Yeah, I think you nailed it in the head. Is that how you say it? Nailed it in the head? <laughs> English it is my head. second language. <laughs> yeah, right now in the season of my life, I'm focused on MetaHuman, which is a community of luminary leaders. And with that comes retreat creation. I love guiding breath work in group settings. So whether that's my personal retreats or even here at the community at Squatch, I, I do that a lot. And my I do one-on-one work with the founders that I get to serve. Beautiful. And I feel like every single person that you've introduced me to, you're like, oh, he's a founder. Oh, she's a founder. Oh, they're doing this. There's so many people Mm. in Austin who are doing that now. Yeah, I feel like once you really set the intention to serve someone or an archetype, it's just you're just naturally drawn to those people. So I feel like it's been a bit of both. It's been I've been intentionally seeking out founders, but also like I've been able to attract more founders. And Austin is attracting a lot of people that have visionary ideas and that want to establish a new paradigm for the planet. I really believe that. 
I find it. So I've been in Austin now for two months and I found that whenever I'm meeting new people, they're always really focused on two main things. First off, community is so big here. Like people just want to meet other people and do not always drinking events too, which is my favorite. It's just like coming here, meeting new people and everybody has some sort of side gig or extracurricular thing that they're Mm -hmm. driving, that they're building. And I think that's one of the most infectious parts about being here. You just can't help but get sucked up of, oh man, like there's a buzz here. I think you called it earlier, it's the mecca of of entrepreneurship or something like that. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've chosen this as a little like headquarters for MetaHuman. And it continues to be a birthplace for all things health, but also all things tech. People like Elon Musk or like Joe Rogan are living here. It's just really interesting what COVID has made like of Austin. I think it's really like a place for innovation and envisioning new things. So So secretly, this podcast is all about how do we get as many people as possible (laughs) to move to Austin, Texas? Yeah. Okay. So so I want to dive into, you are a certified transformational coach. Mm -hmm. And first off, that's such a badass statement to be able to say I'm a certified Mm. transformational coach. Yes. And I think a lot of people, myself very much included, is like, what does that actually mean? Because transformation is such a powerful word that also I feel like is thrown around so easily in these days. I guess, what is a certified transformational coach? But even take it back, like, how did you even end up going down this trajectory to be doing the work that you are now? So starting with my path, uh, I think I mentioned to this to you when I met you, I feel like life has been preparing me for this since the moment I was born with my father being an inspirational speaker in Colombia, having his own radio show on like how to align mind, body, spirit in the 80s or something. It's been divinely designed since I was born. But really, I would say that my career of being a consultant for multiple startup companies gave me the leadership and and the skills to be able to coach in a more strategic level people and how to create change in large organizations, specifically in like supply chain organizations. It was very heady, very masculine, very technical, yet it gave me the skills. So Mm -hmm. I think like it had to be preparing me for that. And then I went through a dark night of the soul moment that we can talk about later where I had a deep awakening and realized that I was living out of alignment in many areas of my life, including my life's purpose. I always thought that coaches or guides had to be some sage, like 60 year old Mm -hmm. person that had tons of experience in their life that has, I don't know, done 20 meditation retreats and maybe were a monk in the past life. (laughs) And I always thought I'm not there, but I hope to be there. But then through this awakening, I realized that it starts now. If I want to be the best guide coach ever that if I want to be masterful, it starts now. I encountered a mentor, the hero's journey. I encountered a guide, Elisa Nobriga, who focuses on the five levels of change. Somatic, emotional, mindset, behavioral, and unconscious. And I think most coaching or old paradigm coaching focuses a lot on mindset. It's like change your habits, change your life, change your mindset, change your life. And yes, that's powerful, changing their mind and changing our thoughts. But there's a deeper layer to that, right? There's a somatic, unconscious mind. And we've all maybe many of you have heard the body keeps the score. There, our unconscious is stored in our body, generations of trauma and things. So somatic is probably my favorite or my most used tool. And then there's the emotional aspect of things. And it's all interrelated. It's not like there are five different compartments. They're all interrelated. Yeah. Somatic, emotional, mindset, and then 
behavioral is the last thing. And I feel like a lot of transformational coaches may focus on just the behaviors, but what's driving that behavior? What's the sensation in your body that you're not accustomed to mm. that may be driving for that extra sugar, extra coffee, extra Netflix show? What's underneath all of that? And of course, like unconscious is, again, it's all related. It's what am I not aware of that is driving my decisions, that is driving my choices, that is driving my fear-based reality. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot, especially learning how much we can learn from our bodies has been probably like one of my biggest breakthroughs over the past five years. Because I think the world today, I still do it too, it's we try to figure it out mentally. Yeah. Okay, what's the plan in terms of how I get this done? How do I figure out how to sell this deal or how to lead this team or whatever it might be? And we think, and sometimes there's a great, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Peaky Blinders, but the main character's name is Tommy Shelby. And there's this one great scene where somebody walks in and he's having such a tough time. And he's like, you know, it's just me thinking about my thoughts that I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. It's just like we can get so wound mm-hmm. up on trying to figure it out. But when we actually bring a certain presence and attention to our heart, our gut, our back, our hips, and and sourcing from those different places, there's so much wisdom. It's like we drop from all of this mental inertia that's up here and just let it like melt in our bodies. Like, oh, you can almost trust wherever it's actually guiding or taking you to go. 100%. It's like the ability, if we're a channel to a divine intelligence the same intelligence that creates galaxies, stars, trees, without, they don't have to think about growing. By connecting with our body, we just become an open channel for that. We become an open channel for creativity. We become an open channel for intuition. We become an open channel for so many things. And then the mind can execute. If we let the mind be the servant of the heart or the body, then we can use this tool for inner guidance. I feel like we can build a future beyond our imagination, beyond the limiting conditioning of the mind. As much as imagine, as much as we think we can create up here, this is just meant to be, from my opinion, for execution. There was an experiment done that I remember reading about that somebody was holding postcards in a way that another or just cards, pictures that the person couldn't see. And one represented love, something good. And then the other card represented darkness, something bad. And they would begin to flip the picture around for them to see it. And they had sensors on the person's brain, Mm. on the heart and on their gut. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that the thing that figured out what the card was would trigger first was actually the heart and then the gut and then it go up to the brain. Just like it was such a tiny millisecond, but it shows. And it was even before the picture was fully turned that the heart would trigger because it has an ability to see even before you can actually visualize. They can feel the frequency of it. And where I think that's one of the big problems in in leadership and corporations and tech and, and all this sort of stuff of these leaders who are incredibly intelligent, who are so smart and can figure stuff out. Why are their companies struggling so much? Why are the people who work for these companies feeling burnt out, feeling stressed? It's because they're trying to figure out how to lead and run this mission mentally. And they're missing out on the most prized treasure there is to figure out some of the stuff, which is your body. Heart's wisdom. 
And that's a big part of the work that I do with founders is helping them drop back into their heart. So it's, I love your vision. I love your mission. I love your intellect. Some of the Bay Area founders that I support, brilliant minds. And let's just feel into the heart because the heart will lead you to do things that defy logic. It's not always the most efficient, the most optimal, the most profitable path but it'll lead you to the highest good of all. And maybe I'm getting a little bit spiritual, but that's been my journey. This doesn't make sense, but it feels right. And Mm -hmm. so I'm going to choose this path. And I feel like that is part of being a luminary leader. It's even though in the past, knowing that the mind is conditioned by the past, even though this doesn't make fully like logical sense, like I trust this feeling and this intuition in my body and my heart and I'm going to take this step forward. Mm. One thing that you said before we started recording was sometimes we need to go to the darkness to make room for the light. And I wrote that down. I was like, that's such an amazing quote right there. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the big reasons why so many people don't want to do this work. They're like, hey, that's a little yeah. scary. <laughs> There's yeah. some darkness there. Yeah. That I've been- I had a client tell me, I don't know if I want to be sad all the time. It's not about being sad all the time. But yeah, some people want to avoid that. It's, I just want to get more skilled, but it's, let's go in the darkness. So I'd love for you to expand on that. What was your own experience that supported you in figuring out that this work was so beautiful that it was required to then be able to bring it to so many people, especially founders who are leading other people in the ripple effects. Like, how did you even learn this stuff that we're speaking to? Yeah. So one of my core belief systems is that life is really benevolent parent that sometimes just teaches us hard lessons. And it's really our power to transmute painful experiences into our gifts. We've heard this in the hero's journey over and over again. There's been Probably like three crucial moments in my life where I witnessed this, but there's one that really just was like the last little straw. The first one being being an immigrant in the U.S. The second one being 19 years old and getting a DUI. That's another story. And then the third one being, I think I was 24 years old and getting pregnant Mm. by my partner who had just been dating for three months. And as a woman who had always been so like looking forward for that moment, for that really special moment of being pregnant, of being a mom, it's something that I always wanted to experience in a situation where it's not what I expected. And at the time, there were so many other things going on in my life, including an immigration process. And as I said, there wasn't like a lot of support from my partner at the time that I made a fear-based decision of I need to be responsible and not choose to have this child. And that was the most challenging experience that I have had physically, but also emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. Yet, it was my awakening. That Mm. death of myself, that death of the life force that left my body was the birth of who I am today. And the death of grief of anger and shame that I experienced. I had never experienced that in my life, but it gave me the capacity to hold light. It was the threshold. It was the test. It was the container in which God life was preparing me for this. So I still believe that it's divinely orchestrated and have compassion, have forgiveness for that version of myself. So that was like my dark night of the soul moment where I know what it's like to make fear-based decisions. And so what does it look like to only make love-based decisions, resource, feeling like that life has my back no matter what. 
first off, thank you for sharing that. And that's a very vulnerable thing to share. But I also really love how you say it was divinely orchestrated, I think was the phrase you use of we are required to go there so that then we can find the elixir of whatever it might be. And it can be extremely difficult and dark and scary. And it's usually the times when we feel the most lost that it's usually right before there's the breakthrough. Exactly. What I've always experienced. It's the depression, the darkness that you can go to. It's once you're finally at that point, you're like, I give up. That's when we've actually. Exactly. For what I love that. In. Yeah, I give up. I give up. Mm-hmm. Ego gave up. And in this amazing author, Bill Plotkin, he talks about the eight stages of human development. He's been a big inspiration in my life and in my work. He talks about soul initiation, how we go through a process of early in our adulthood. It's more about the soul being the servant of the ego, which is like doing the job that we don't want to do, dating the partner that is alive but not really aligned and just following like the ego's desires. But then there comes a moment of soul initiation, which, by the way, I believe it doesn't always have to be suffering. (laughs) I do believe that we don't have to go through really. I think we can do it through Satori enlightenment. And so soul initiation is about now the ego becoming the servant of the soul centered desires, which is I think it's part of being a luminary leader. Mm. It's ego is just here to support what is true for the soul going back to heart centered decisions and intuition. It's simply like the tuner. It's hey, once you get caught up your ego, it's like, hey, don't forget you need to go more in your heart. Exactly. When you say it doesn't all need to be suffering, that really hits me a lot because I also feel like my journey and many people's journeys have been suffering. Yeah. And, you know, going to the darkness to the doing the excavation of the parts that are inside of us that haven't been tended to in a while that are so tightly wound up and, you know, don't want to be touched and have projections and have shadows that are preventing us from going there. They're elusive, one can say. One of my teachers, I remember, said there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is not possible to have all the time. That's just straight up. It's not possible because you're just going to have things happen in your life. But joy, on the other hand, joy is actually possible to have moment to moment. Because even when you are going to the darkness, when you are going through the mud, when you are getting hit in the face physically or metaphorically through whatever you're experiencing, if you are in service to something greater, if you are actually in pursuit of your purpose, your meaning, in pursuit of your vision in terms of who you really want to be, you can still have joy in the experience of it. And you can actually have more reverence for the current position that you're at. And I say that and and I try to be a practitioner of that and I struggle with being a practitioner of that. Yeah. And I love that you're aware of that, but I love that you're (laughs) calling yourself a practitioner. As you were speaking that one really personal example that was coming up for me that is very recent, it's my dad being diagnosed with stage two cancer. Mm -hmm. And there's a different version of me now where I could find joy in those places, although there was a deep fear within myself I felt like cancer had been the greatest gift for our family. And I know that can be challenging to conceptualize for some people as they're listening to this, especially if they've lost someone to cancer. But it brought our family close together. It gave my dad an awakening force to like, I want to live. It made us extremely present of not every day is guaranteed. And so there was a lot of joy in that process. We were very blessed. He's healed. He's good. But what came to my awareness as you were talking about 
finding joy in those moments that can feel dark or that we have identified as dark collectively. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. Yeah. Mm, I appreciate that. I'm very glad that your father is, yeah, is, he's doing is so better. Good. It's just parallels to every part of us has a positive purpose. It's like, I'll give an example. I have been in sales for a really long time. I've led sales teams and I lead a community of sales professionals. And many salespeople are achievers, right? They are hungry. They are getting after it. And they are trying to hit quota or make a lot of money, whatever, serve their clients. And that's such a beautiful thing. And it lights a fire under us. There's a positivity to that. And also on the flip side of it, if we're such in the achiever mindset of trying to do, trying to go, trying to build, we're actually not being present to where we're currently at and experiencing the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of infinite examples for everything. Yes, honor that part, honor the dark part, honor the part of you that feels anxiety or feels insecure because that part also catalyzes a certain way about you that if you choose to go to it and choose to do the work of creating a relationship with it, trying to find kind of the seed that it can actually really bring with you. If you truly get that, it can actually provide something that can really take you to where, you know, who you truly are. Exactly. Yeah. That's a big part of the work that we do at MetaHuman and MetaMen specifically. So MetaHuman is a larger umbrella. MetaMen has been my initial focus, serving men that are high performing, that are achievers, that love to do, right? Men have been conditioned to provide and to do and to execute. And so I celebrate that in our experiences and in our community. And as you said, let's honor the other parts of ourselves that have been neglected. Let's give space to do shadow exploration. What are some underdeveloped parts of ourselves that we have been neglecting because societal conditioning or gender conditioning has told us to not be whatever, vulnerable to not be weak, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been a big part of the work that I've been focusing on. It's been really beautiful to witness also how open men are to having a female lead them through this process and actually how it the polarity of it actually makes it quite magical. Mm-hmm. Not that I think it needs to be gender focused, but there's been a beautiful alchemy in between those two. And I feel like every time I introduce myself of my host retreats for men, there's a little bit of, oh, really? Like, <laughs> what do you have to teach men? I'm like, I don't teach men how to be men. It's more about inner exploration, some of the more feminine qualities of emotional awareness of being softer and more gentle with themselves. Yeah. All right. So I have two questions. I want to talk about bringing the feminine to the masculine and and the work you do. But I actually want to back up because you mentioned the word shadows. Yeah. And I feel like this is a word or phrase that people talk a lot about, but don't fully expand on what does that actually mean? So I love if you could, like when we talk about our shadows and going to our shadows, what do you mean by that? So the shadow self is what we're unaware of. It's the aspects of ourselves that only other people can mirror back to us or that what I call a catalyst experience is part of my emotional alchemy like concept is a catalyst experience will bring to light 
those aspects of ourselves. And so the shadow self is things that you are unconscious of and that you can make it conscious again by being in relationship or through different experiences. So that's the shadow self. And then the way that I was taught it, it's like we have our shadow selves and then we have our projections Yes. In front of our shadows Mm -hmm. that are really trying to compensate for the parts of us that we don't want to be seen. 100%. Projection work is how we become aware of our shadow, right? It's like the things that we judge on others are the things that may be repressed or underdeveloped within us. Mm -hmm. Or people can be a mirror and be like, wow, this person is so loud. But maybe they're reflecting back to you your own loudness as well that you're not owning or that you're not becoming aware which, yeah, this is another different tangent, but shadow work is some of the most powerful work that you can do in, in a romantic partnership. I feel like that's one of the most powerful containers to do that. And whatever it is that you like absolutely hate or avoid or judge about your partner, it's just like, get, get curious around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're just simply covering up the part of you <laughs> that feels really, whatever, insecure or... And there's like positive afraid. and negative projections. Whatever it is that you admire... You're like, wow, my partner is this. Or even my boss is like so, whatever, creative or so extroverted or so X, Y, and Z. These are, these positive projections, again, can also reflect back to us traits that we're not owning within ourselves or that we're not giving ourselves credit for. There's a positive purpose to these projections too. It's again, back to what I was saying is if I don't like it when my partner is super loud, let's say, or making a big scene, I'm like the projection of stop that is because there's a part of me that wants to keep the peace or that wants to make people feel comfortable or whatever it might be. The unraveling of I am I the way that I am. Yep. Yep. Which a lot of that also comes from our childhood. Maybe in our household, mom was really loud and I learned Mm. that that was bad. Or maybe in our childhood, mom and dad were very peaceful. And anytime uh, my eight-year-old self would be loud, I would get scolded. And so I learned that in order to receive love and validation, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be loud. So now as a sales leader, when we're doing powwows, I'm the one who's sitting back and being like, I don't know why I like like freeze when everyone wants to get super tribal or super excited about something, Mm -hmm. which is why these things that alluvians and metahuman are providing to these leaders, these are tools that go beyond personal development. I really believe that this is the next era of leadership development. By learning the shadow aspects, what are my underdeveloped areas? What are the things that I'm not owning within myself? This is how we become more whole humans and better leaders. I think that's the key thing that's happening right now. That's the inflection point that we're at in today's world. It used to be about just learn the skill set learn the tactics of how to do this. And it could be, and it could apply to whatever job you're doing. But now we're at that point where in addition to the tactics, you need to have the underlying foundation of who are you? What really lights you up? What's the unique expression of yourself? Are you actually coming from your heart, from your true essence? Or are you coming from these parts that are not receiving love and therefore acting out or being triggered, right? And you look at some of these companies, even in today's world, They have an incredible product, an amazing service. But for some reason, not only is their company not doing well from a revenue perspective, but the people who work at them are burnt out or stressed or isolated, all that sort of stuff that's happening. It's because they're not actually doing the work themselves as a leader. They're focused simply on, I have a job to do. It's like your actual job as a leader is to make yourself feel like a whole person, and to be able to bring that level of vibration and frequency down to the rest of your team. 
And I heard a great quote the other day. It said, a toxic culture translates down to toxicity with your customers. Because even if there's a toxicity between a CEO and a COO, that flows down to the VP of sales, that flows down to the sales team, that flows down to how the prospects are receiving it. That's where the new form of leadership is, I feel like. Become a whole, full version of yourself. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I feel like we all, at a deeper level, we just crave a sense of belonging. And what you just said, that by being a more whole human, by being more heart-centered leaders, is how we motivate teams. It's how people actually feel like they're part of something greater than themselves. And it's how you inspire people to do their work beyond higher pay. Money doesn't really motivate us. Even though we think it motivates us, it's not really what really drives us to go 10, 10x harder. If you have people's hearts, like you have their committed, their, yeah, their commitment to that vision and that mission. So I want to go back to my earlier question because I did have two questions yes. earlier. You are a female founder mm-hmm. and you are a curator of many different types of retreats, but one specific type of retreat is for men specifically. And you talked about the value of bringing the divine feminine to the masculine. And I would love just for you to expand on what do you mean by that? What is the value of helping men who are such an an achiever, but also just to slow down? Yeah, which is I think it's a big intention behind at least our retreats is taking a pause and not looking that not looking at action as something that is unproductive or unpurposeful, but to really get introspective about their inner experience. And for people that may not be familiar with the divine feminine or masculine, I'm also going to just use the terms of yin and yang and from Chinese philosophy. So the yin element being that more restorative descendant, almost like We can think of the moon as this energy that is more dark, introspective again, inward. That is something that hasn't been incentivized for men to explore. Men have been conditioned to, again, to provide, to execute and to build. And what we're doing at Meta Men is first being like, it's okay to slow down. Do you know how hard it is when I'm filling up spots for Meta Human? Getting a founder to actually take four days off to go to Costa Rica, it's like I get a lot of no's. And so even the sales process in that is a coaching process in itself. It's tell me what's blocking you from what fears come up, right? Oh, I fear that my company can run without me or I'll be unproductive. So it's even just getting to the place of going to the retreat and then trying out different modalities, which is a lot of also what you're doing with Alluvians is like, A lot of these founders are trying breath work for the first time, trying visualization, trying sound healing again, some of these more what we would consider like feminine modalities to also hack performance. These are also really powerful tools to experience energetic shifts, to alter our consciousness, to restore our nervous system, to again, drop into our heart. That's been a big part of the work that we've been doing at MetaMen, as well as teaching some of these tools on how to do your own inner work. So including like shadow exploration or inner child resourcing. A a big part of our focus also is inner child resourcing, Mm. like creating a relationship with the inner child within themselves, reparenting ourselves. Mm. Now that's, that's a good one right there. I've been doing that work now for probably three or four years and it's probably been some of the most transformational 
experiences for me of going to, I call it in, internal family systems is how it was described to me. I'm even reading a book called Self-Therapy right now. And we have so many different parts of, of us. I have the part of me that's really secure. I have the part of me that's lonely. I have the part of me that is really excited. All these different parts of us. And sometimes what I like to do is I like name them my super insecure part. And if anybody's name is this, I apologize. Nothing against you, but his name is Herbert. And I go to Herbert and sometimes I just need to ask, hey, Herbert, like, how old are you? You know, what do you need? How long have you felt this way? And the ability to come from, I call it my essence, or you can call it my higher self or whatever it may be, not to try to fix it, not to try to like, almost, there's another part that can come up that shames it. Herbert, why are you always insecure? Grow up, change the record. Simply another part of me that's, yeah, that's the performer or the achiever that is, let's mm-hmm. just grow or. Mm-hmm. But just to simply just go to that part and not say, hey, Herbert, I'm trying to fix you. I'm not trying to get you uninsecure. I'm simply just wanting to hear you, create some space for you. I want to give you some love, like big time love. I want to spiritually give you a massive fucking hug. (laughs) Whatever that might be. And that's a beautiful process to go through. Yeah. And that's something that your audience can take away is if you're struggling with one thing that you feel unresolved about and naming the parts that are showing up in that moment, maybe taking a moment, taking a a notebook and giving them a name. The powerful thing about giving it a name is that we don't identify with it. We look at it as a part, not as who we are, right? Because we are the whole picture. We are essence. We are soul. And so I feel like that's a key component for self-mastery is not identifying with these parts. I hear many people, for example, Let's say that there's a part of you that is anxious, but many people, I don't love when people say like, oh, I'm just anxious. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're not anxious. There's a part of you that learned to be anxious because of X, Y, Z reasons, mom, dad, life, identifying with our emotions, identifying with these parts don't, doesn't serve our our self-mastery. So taking the moment to look at a situation, naming those parts, and then giving them full permission to riff, to like full expression, raw and unedited, because a lot of us, we suppress, we repress its parts of ourselves because, again, we identify with it and we judge it. We learn maybe that they're not welcome. Maybe we learn that being anxious means that I'm insecure, so I'm not a man or whatever else. And taking the time to name the parts, taking the time to give them full permission to express, to have a voice can be so powerful in itself just to witness yourself. And sometimes you can laugh. It's, that's hilarious, right? Like that this part of me is like thinking that if I quit my job, I'm going to go homeless, mm-hmm. right? And then resourcing yourself. And I think this is where it can be challenging if you, you know you and I have been having learning tools. We have teachers. We've, we've done this work for several years. And I think this is where a guide can come in really handy. If we're not resourced enough to maybe tap into essence, maybe we don't have a mindfulness practice. Maybe this is like all these things are so new to us. This is where a coach, a guide like yourself, like myself can come in handy, where we can just mirror back to that person, that unconditional love, that loving awareness is not Alex, it's not Michelle. We're just being what we all are, which is loving awareness and just witnessing that person in that moment. I think that that's where the alchemy happens. And I've seen in retreats, maybe you've experienced this in your retreats too, Without my leadership, some people just step into this role too and they do it for each other. And those are some of the most beautiful moments that I've experienced where one retreat participant to the other says the very thing that they need to hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yes, this is pure alchemy, pure magic. It can be so beautiful because it's our nature. It's not about learning how to be loving towards ourselves. It's about unlearning the things that we've learned and just tapping back into our essence, our nature. 
there's something really powerful that happens when you surround yourself with other people who are committed to doing the work on themselves and serving something greater. I'm all about one-on-one therapy. I'm all about one-on-one coaching. I've participated in it for many years now. Yeah. And there's so much yeah, value like five from coaches. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think I do a <laughs> little I, too much. <laughs> when I met you, I was like, wait, how many coaches? <laughs> shout out Shirley, shout out Rob, shout out. But there's something that when you're doing it in a container with other people, especially when you see other people share so vulnerability, so vulnerable. Like one of the key things that I love and one of my retreats, we always say is your work is my work. Because when you witness other people going through it, sharing it, especially the hard stuff, your heart is just, like, oh my God, I, I feel you. And I'm not alone in what I'm going through. And sometimes you hear somebody make a bold proclamation of a vision they want to be achieving. I still remember I was at a retreat and somebody made a proclamation. We just done like a big vision exercise and I had just given mine. I felt good about it, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't that big. But the next guy gets up and he's, my vision is I'm going to the White House to meet with the president of the United States to talk about education reform across this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such a powerful, oh my God. And I was just like, damn, I'm not thinking big enough. <laughs> but it, it was, that's the purpose of it. It like mm-hmm. value it you raise each other's frequency. And I heard a a very interesting fact the other day Mm -hmm. that was actually from a woman who runs a women's group. And she said, sperm, Mm -hmm. actually, as they're going towards the egg, they're actually bouncing off of each other. Oh. And they're giving each other more energy to go forward Mm -hmm. altogether. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like there's value in doing it with other people that's the community that you need. 100%. That's the power of retreats. It can be similar nowadays that psychedelics and plant medicine have become so popular. I truly believe in our retreats, we don't use any plant medicine. And it's a ceremony space, even though there's no external substance. I find that every group brings its own alchemy, its own essence. And what happens in the retreat space can't really be described in words, but it's almost like we're all tapped into this field of consciousness, this love field where information is flowing through and everyone's a mirror for one another. Mm-hmm. And what the right guides and, and the right set and setting, I've watched people's lives change in those three to four days that these retreats, of course, you have to integrate it just like any other ceremony in, in when you get out into the real world. But it's so beautiful to witness. And then beyond that, as you, said, you talked about community, the bonds that are created there go beyond the retreat space because you you've felt seen, supported, heard, and held in a way that you may have never experienced with your friend that you've hung out with in the last 10 to 20 years. You're also learning a new way of being and relating with other humans. So it can be really powerful and it's so fulfilling in retreats. I, it's, it's one of the best too, especially <laughs> yeah. when you, to create a container that's yeah. supporting people on the journey. And so fun. You said something earlier that I really liked. It's hard sometimes for people to take two days off, three days off, four days, five days a week. Say, I have a job to do. I I have a company to build. I have a quota to hit, whatever it might be. But the beautiful part about doing the work is that's actually part of what you're trying to do. It's like doing the actual work, the emails, the calls, all sort of stuff is only half of what you're doing. So much of becoming the version of yourself that actually does that well and effectively and has impact is by going to the spaces, 
by and doing this three treats, even if it's your, even if it's a morning meditation practice for three minutes, uh, or it's a gratitude practice, or it's an affirmations, whatever it might be, that's actually work. <laughs> it's not separate from what we're doing here. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And if anyone in your audience has never attended a retreat, and I know that they become very popular, there's a reason why they're becoming popular. I feel the pandemic separated us in some ways, but also brought us together. And now this is a, a way in which we are reconnecting with one another. And it's different to vacation than to, again, jump into a container with a specific mission and vision and with individuals that want to do this specific type of work. It's just absolutely powerful. And it's a catalyst for change. So I have one more question for you. Yeah. But before I do, just want to acknowledge you and just say thank you for spreading your wisdom and for being in your heart. And I think you bring such a valuable perspective and also both loving and a challenging way to people and call them forward. Yeah. And I've met countless people now who've attended your retreats or know you and you've touched in some sort of way. And there's a lot of purity in what you are giving and sure you are doing your own work and you're still working through it. But like I witness you living in a place of you're in service and it's so beautiful and it's, and it's great to, to know you and to be in community with you. So thank you for that. So my last question for you is this, and this is my question I ask every single guest who's on this podcast. The show is called the Rising Leader Podcast. So my question for you, especially for somebody who leads and supports and coaches founders and, and CEOs and people on those lines. What do you view as the rising leader? Rising leaders are luminary leaders. There's a really beautiful book called The Warrior of Light by Paulo Coelho. And I feel like that book embodies really well what that means. And we're in a pivotal time in humanity where I feel like there's a sense of urgency for leaders to rise. We're being called, there's like a collective call. So I feel like rising leaders have this urgency. There's a sense of urgency that they can no longer not answer the phone. So if that's you, just answer the call. And luminary leaders are not enlightened. They see themselves as just as everyone else, even their worst enemy. Yet they have, there's a light within them that is guiding them towards a path that may look different than everyone else or what they've been used to. Yet it feels like the path towards creating a new earth. And I know this can feel a little bit spiritual or woo-woo, but I really believe that we're going through a collective awakening. We talked about the depth of darkness and the depth of light. Think about COVID as like this collective depth of darkness, even what's happening right now in the world, this depth of darkness so that we can hold more light and their light is ignited. They're following that light. They're heart centered and they are devoted to their mission. I feel like devotion is a big part of that. It's not about themselves. It's not about the profit or the recognition. It's about I'm devoted to this path and I need to commit to it no matter what. That's great. I like the word devotion. You're devoted yeah. to it. Yeah. Mm. Like there's no other way. There's nothing else that I can do. This is all I can do in this lifetime. So first off, not really answer. Second off, mm -hmm. Michelle, if people would like to get to know you, talk to you, reach out, learn more about your retreats, what's the best way to do? The best way to learn more about MetaHuman is go to joinmetahuman.co. We're based here in Austin and we'll be expanding to San Francisco Bay Area uh, 2024. 
Uh, we host retreats here in Austin, Costa Rica, and Greece. So. Oh, in Greece. Greece is starting this year. All yeah. right, let's go. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here Thank and for all the who listened. Just appreciate you so much for always joining us here on the podcast. This is one of my favorite things to do and just have good, deep conversations. And the fact that some people <laughs> listen to it is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, and if you know of anybody who needs to hear this, please make sure that you send uh, it along their way. Make sure you subscribe, check us out for future episodes. But Michelle, thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluviance.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. And in the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluviance.co to apply there. Can't wait to see ya.